0: Welcome to the BodyWise podcast. In this episode, we bring you a recording of a recent webinar titled Coping with Christmas. The webinar is hosted by our training and development manager and psychotherapist, Harriet Parsons. Coping with Christmas. I don't know about you, but November seems to have absolutely flown by for me Um, And as I was doing up these coping with Christmas slides, I was thinking, oh, how Christmas would be so lovely if we were all able to do this, regardless of whether we had somebody in the house who was struggling or not, that it actually makes a lot of sense. Um, But anyway, we're going to think them through. So to start off with, I suppose just what we're going to be talking about, we're going to be talking about planning and I'm going to spend probably most of the time thinking about planning for Christmas. It's not just Christmas Day, obviously, it's that weird week in between Christmas and New Year's and then January as well. So the planning information I give you, well, it's actually really relevant if you've got anything in particular coming up but it's helpful for for all of that period, okay? But to start with, just so that everybody's on the same page, I see some familiar faces who I know have been to the PILLAR program before and have heard me speak about eating disorders before, but some people aren't and maybe haven't. So I'm going to start off by just giving us... um, a kind of foundation of understanding so that you get a sense of where I'm coming from and how I think about eating disorders and how I kind of prepare my head um, when I'm trying to support somebody um, to prepare for something like Christmas. So I'm going to just start off thinking um, about what are we talking about when we're talking about an eating disorder? So we know that eating disorders are never just one thing. We know that at any one time, for the person who has an eating disorder, but also for the people outside that person who are trying to understand what's going on for them, it's very difficult to pinpoint exactly what we're talking about. Because an eating disorder really affects every aspect of how a person functions. So it affects their thinking. So the person's thinking often changes and becomes distorted. Those distorted thoughts around maybe food and eating and exercise lead to what we call disordered eating behaviors. So they would be things like restriction, binging, purging, overexercising, clean-eating, you know, different kind of rigid rules around how a person eats, or another way of saying rigid rules might be to say very all or nothing eating behaviors. So maybe not eating and then binge eating, taking in food and getting rid of food. Um, So those disordered behaviors are really a product of the distorted thinking that happens when a person develops an eating disorder. And then obviously those disordered behaviors lead to the person's physical health um, being damaged. So in terms of physical symptoms, we have things like people becoming underweight or people becoming overweight or people developing symptoms that are caused by purging behaviors. So tooth erosion or... um, you know, tears in the throat or swollen salivary glands or, you know, other symptoms may be associated with not eating enough might be girls losing their periods or women losing their periods and um, osteoporosis. And um, so there's lots of physical things that happen when we don't feed ourselves properly. And that seems like a pretty kind of simple thing to understand, that the distorted thinking leads to disordered behaviours has a physical impact for the person. The really complicated part is that the physical health of the person it in turn really impacts on how the person thinks. So when a brain is malnourished, it finds it difficult to hold complex thought. It's more has more of a tendency to be black and white, to be all or nothing. And so What that means is that how the person is physically impacts how they think and impacts their behaviors. We know from some animal studies that when animals have been deprived of food, some of those animals might start to overexercise. So the physical symptoms aren't innocuous, they aren't just as a result of the disordered behaviors, they themselves also play an active role in keeping the person trapped within the eating disorder. And then of course, you know, eating disorders might seem to be about food and weight, but really they're about how the person is feeling and the person's sense of self, how they feel about themselves. So we can't leave out the emotional aspect of an eating disorder. In fact, many would say that's the most important aspect, that my eating disorder is about my sense of self and how I feel myself to be in the world and how I cope with the world and how I relate to the world and the people in it. And whenever we add emotions into the mix in anything, things get very messy. And of course, when we add emotions into the mix in an eating disorder, the eating disorder gets very, very complicated and very messy as well. Okay, so that's kind of where I'm coming from in a very kind of simple way of trying to explain the complexity of the different parts of the eating disorder. So that really the eating disorder seeps into the person and takes over all aspects of who they are and of how they function in the world. So in that way, we can really say that an eating disorder is not just about food. The eating disorder is comes to be about much more than food. It Food and feeding yourself and the way you manage or control your body in whatever form that is, starts to become a person's way of living, of managing their life, of coping with their life. And that's why our foundation, so the thing that we have to remind ourselves of all the time when we're trying to support somebody is that that eating disorder is a coping mechanism. It may be destructive, so it may ultimately destroy the person's life. However, from the person's perspective, the eating disorder is something that helps them to live. So it helps them to feel like they can manage their lives every day. And so when they feel something is difficult, when they feel that they can't cope with how they're feeling, when they feel that they have to do something difficult, they use the eating disorder as a way of helping them to manage all of that. And we can all understand that because we all have coping mechanisms. I mean, think about yourself in the run-up to Christmas. You know, do you get stressed? Do you get anxious? Do you swing from feeling like, oh, it's going to be great. It's going to be fine to feeling, oh, my God, you know, how am I going to get through this? You know, have I got everyone's present? You know, what are we going to do? So and so wants to go there and so and so wants to go there. And, you know, it can be a very stressful time for us us, and a very busy time. So do you have things that you do to help you to cope when your life gets busy and stressful? I'm absolutely sure that you do. And I'm absolutely sure that most people have at least one coping mechanism that they know isn't very healthy for them. Yeah, that probably they would think, oh, I'd I'd love to stop doing that. I'd love to not do that. And while you might acknowledge that that coping mechanism isn't very healthy, there might also be a part of you that if someone else came to you and said, "Mm, you know, that's really not good for you. You really need to stop that you would immediately start to formulate an argument in your head as to why it's okay for you to do that and why you shouldn't listen to that person and why that person doesn't understand and why um, no one's going to tell you what to do. And that's exactly what's happening for the person who has an eating disorder, that when we try to offer help, when we try to... um, to you know to support sometimes to to help to offer um you know an alternative the person feels defensive they feel defensive of their coping mechanism as any of us would and so we meet resistance and that's very normal and that's to be expected and um we we often waste a lot of our own energy trying to convince the person that they need to change whereas in fact the only person really who can convince them that they need to change is themselves and so we would be much better off putting our energy into coming alongside them and supporting them and thinking okay I understand you feel x y and z I don't really understand you know what's going to be helpful for you but maybe together we could try and work it out. And that's instead of meeting things head on, that's coming alongside them and taking up a collaborative position with them. Let's work on this together. Let's try and figure this out together because you know that they need to feel safe if they're going to try to change. And unless they feel safe, they're not going to let their eating disorder go. So that's that's the position in my head we need to take up when we're supporting someone. And I just want to remind everybody here that people with eating disorders recover, you know, that full recovery is absolutely possible, that an eating disorder is not something that a person will have to live with for their entire lives. And so when we're thinking about Christmas, I want to remind you that it might be like this, this Christmas. It might be like this for a few Christmases. And unfortunately for some people, it might be like this for many Christmases, but that things will change. And that even though this Christmas might be hard, it might take a lot of planning. There might be moments where you think this is all too much. It's not going to always be like this. A person can recover and people do recover. So, I want you to remember that as we go through. Um, another way, so we've said that an eating disorder is a coping mechanism. Another way of describing that is to think of an eating disorder as a functional illness. So, it's an illness. We know that it's an illness. Okay. It's a very serious illness, and um, it has huge risk associated with it. I'm sorry, I spelled that wrong there, but it is an illness and the illness functions for the person. By that, I mean the illness does something for them. So when we say it's a coping mechanism, we can say that the function of the eating disorder is to help the person to cope in different ways. And on the PILLAR program, you will remember me saying that when you're supporting someone, it's not necessarily about becoming an expert at eating disorders per se. The focus needs to be on you becoming an expert at your person's eating disorder. And also for people with eating disorders, for them also to really get to know how their eating disorder functions for them. So what does it do for you? How does it work as a way of making you feel a bit better? So I have a few Christmas examples here. So for example, if I, I'll follow my eating disorder perfectly so I can relax at Christmas. Yeah, so that's a function. It functions to help the person relax. They think, well, if I follow my eating disorder and its rules perfectly, then I will be able to relax at Christmas, okay? Um, I'm worried I'll eat too much at Christmas. So I'm going to restrict now. Yeah, so that the function of that is to help the person feel calm in the weeks running up to Christmas because they know they're kind of banking um, eating for Christmas Day so that if on Christmas Day, either they want to or they feel that they're going to have to eat more than usual, they will have created um space for that yeah they will have banked up restriction another example is i want everyone to be happy for christmas so i'm going to make sure that everyone is happy and i'm going to make sure of that by trying to control everything okay and that might you know come out in being very rigid in the weeks coming up to christmas and being super sensitive to how everyone is feeling and trying to make everybody happy and thinking about I'm going to buy the best present you know I can't just buy the first present I think of it has to be really personal maybe I'm going to make everybody's Christmas presents maybe I'm going to put so much effort in that everyone will know how much I love them and how much I know them and that present is going to signify all of that like That's a kind of perfectionist thing. And that's about trying to guarantee that everyone will be happy, okay? So in that way, the eating disorder is functioning to help the person feel safe and feel like they they know how to make everybody happy. All right, so there are just a couple of examples. So we have the eating disorder as a coping mechanism. We have the eating disorder as a functional illness. Another idea is to remember that The eating disorder behaviour, so the disordered eating behaviours in an eating disorder are compulsive. And that's what the difference is between just normal disordered eating and an eating disorder. So we tip from normal disordered eating into something that's an eating disorder when the disordered eating behaviour is compulsive. When a behaviour is compulsive, It means that the person doesn't feel like they have a choice about doing it or not. So when this stress is building and the person is using their eating disorder as a way of coping, they're not going to feel like they have a choice about using those disordered eating behaviors. They're going to think I have to follow my rules or else everything else is going to fall apart. A compulsive behavior can feel like there's something inside you making you do it. And the person might think, I don't know why I'm doing this, but I just know that I have to do it. There is no conscious thought involved in a compulsive behavior. So the person might find themselves being rigid or might find themselves purging regularly or binging regularly. And every time they do it, they might think, why am I doing this? I promised myself I wouldn't do this. Why am I doing this? So they don't even feel like they're making a choice about doing it. They almost find themselves doing it. And in the moment with a compulsive behavior, it's practically impossible to stop it. And that's why this planning part is so important. But the thought a person might have was, I'm never gonna do this again. I'm not going to do this tomorrow. I may have done it today, but I'm not going to do it tomorrow. Yeah. And that's that feeling that I haven't been able to stop it now, but I'm going to try. I'm going to stop it tomorrow. Okay. So if you think of the disordered eating behavior as something that's compulsive, something that the person isn't making a choice about, something that the person feels compelled to do, we can have more empathy for it. We can empathize with the the feeling that the person has, that they don't know how not to do it, okay? So we have the coping mechanism idea, we have the functional illness idea, and we think of the behavior as something compulsive, something that we need to empathize with, that we don't need to criticize, that we don't need to be disappointed with the person because they're doing it, that we don't get angry with the person because they're doing it, it's compulsive. If they had a choice about it, they wouldn't do it, okay? The other idea that we often look at in pillar is the metaphor of the person drowning in a river, yeah? So we have this metaphor where a person is drowning in a river and and they're feeling overwhelmed and they're feeling like they're gonna get swept away. You know, they're caught up in it, they're gonna get swept away. And when I was thinking about this evening, I was thinking, you know, we can we can feel we can use the metaphor of that, you know, run up to Christmas a bit like that. You know, when I said, gosh, hasn't November gone by very quickly? A person... Not only with an eating disorder, anybody can feel like they're getting swept along in this Christmas buzz, in this Christmas stress, in this demands around Christmas. And we can all feel overwhelmed. And so if you imagine a person feeling like they're drowning in all of that, and then suddenly this branch goes by and they hold on to it and the branch helps them keep their head above water. Yeah. And maybe there's something that you do at Christmas that helps you keep your head above water. But if they find something that helps them keep their head above water and helps them feel like they can cope, then they're going to hold on to that branch for as long as they can. They're not going to let it go willingly because the idea of letting it go and being swept away is too overwhelming. So we think that the branch is the eating disorder. And they're clinging to it because it helps them feel like they can cope. Now you can see the people on the bank there, and that's the supporting network. So that's whoever that is. I, You know, that could be family, it could be GP, it could be clinicians, it could be school, it could be anyone. And really what we're talking about this evening is the idea that it's the people on the bank often who are doing the planning about Christmas, okay? But the person with the eating disorder is over here just clinging tightly to the eating disorder. And what we need to do is be able to communicate to that person. This is what's going to happen. This is how you're going to get through it. You can let go of the branch and we are going to bring you through that together. So we're all going to be on the same page. We're all going to um, think it through together. You're going to feel safe. We're going to... Um, have some contingency planning we're We're going to try and and work this out together. okay, so that's a nice little metaphor, I think, for thinking, you know, where do you position yourself when you're supporting someone through Christmas? You're supporting yourself there on the bank, so on safe ground, but you're helping the person to feel safe as well by bringing them in with you. okay. Um, when we think about supporting somebody and when a person thinks also about their own eating disorder, the reasons, the causes of the eating disorder aren't necessarily the same things as what maintains the eating disorder for the person. Okay, So there are some kind of common factors regardless of the type of eating disorder that are working to maintain the eating disorder in the person. And I have those kind of common factors here around in the circles around the eating disorder. So the first thing is the thinking style. So often a person who has an eating disorder has quite a distinctive thinking style. So they have a tendency often to very all or nothing thinking, very black and white thinking. So it's this or it's that. And that's because the eating disorder keeps them in either being good or being bad, feeling in control or out of control, that it's very difficult to navigate or to tolerate the middle ground, the gray area. So that's one part of the thinking style. Another part of the thinking style um, is being detail focused rather than big picture focused okay so this is especially important when we're coming up to Christmas because the person can start to analyze the details of Christmas day and forget to pull back and think about overall what is Christmas about you know what what do I want from my Christmas okay and we're going to think about that a bit more there also can be quite a lot of perfectionist thinking as well. And that's very all or nothing. It's like it's either going to be perfect, or it's going to be a complete disaster. So I remember one time, a person talking to me about her Christmas. And she described, you know, her father on Christmas Day would make the breakfast. It was the one day of the year when the dad made the breakfast and he made this very special type of eggs for the breakfast and she hadn't been able to have them since she developed an eating disorder and when we were thinking about preparing for Christmas in her head it was like I want to be able to have the eggs that's the one thing I want to be able to have and she was so focused on that little detail that after Christmas when she came and she said she hadn't been able to have the eggs it set her up as a failure from the very, very beginning, yeah? So helping the person to not be so detailed focus or trying yourself not to be so detailed focus can be really helpful. So not to kind of pin all of your Christmas hopes and dreams onto one particular little part and rather draw out and and have bigger picture thinking can actually be really really helpful. I actually think that that's important for everybody. I think we all get hung up on little details at Christmas and I think that being able to to have that bigger picture perspective could help everybody and you see the thing is that as a person for those of you here who are supporting a person again we have to remember that we it's very difficult to change another person, to change how another person thinks. It's much easier to change how we think. And so if you think about it, whatever the change is you would like to see in the person who has the eating disorder, can you role model that change in yourself? So can you role model, model for them not being all or nothing? Can you role model not being perfectionist and having flexibility? Can you role model bigger picture thinking and not being detailed focused yourself? So just put that question to you, you know, have a think about what that means for you in your life in relation to your family and your Christmas. The other common feature is this super sensitivity. So people with eating disorders are often very sensitive people in a lovely way, you know, very able to tune in to how other people are feeling, very empathic, very understanding, very mindful, very um, conscientious. And that's brilliant that's a lovely quality to have the problem is is that the eating disorder kind of uses that against the person and introduces a should into it so if i am able to you know if i know that mom is feeling stressed and i know how i can make her feel better the eating disorder makes it into a should i should make mom feel better i should make everybody happy at christmas Therefore, if everybody, if if not everyone is happy at Christmas, it's my fault. Yeah, so it kind of turns it on its head for a person and makes them feel that they are responsible for making sure everyone else is feeling okay. So that's one part of that sensitivity. Another part of that is being very sensitive to their own feelings. So to how you're feeling yourself. And what I mean by that is what I've noticed in people is that when they have a very strong feeling, like a feeling of anger or feeling sad or feeling anxious, it's like it totally consumes the person and they don't remember not feeling that way. And they can't imagine not feeling that way. So being able to help the person to tolerate manage their feelings is what is helpful when you're supporting someone and if you're a person yourself on here being able to tolerate manage regulate your feelings is important and what i mean by that is being able to ride out the feeling so know that feelings end and feelings change and just because you're feeling sad right now doesn't mean that you're going to feel sad forever or for the entire day. And it also doesn't mean that other people are going to feel sad as well. So there's no should about it. So we need to be very clear about the boundary between our feelings and other people's feelings. And to recognize that the only person responsible for my feelings is me. So as a a parent, for example, if you're upset, it's very important to communicate. I feel upset, but these are my feelings and I'm responsible for them. Nobody else is responsible for making me feel better. Okay. And it's the same for the person with the eating disorder. If they're feeling upset, they they, they it's helpful for them to be able to recognize it, name it and tolerate it. And they have to learn how to do that. What does it mean to tolerate it? How can I regulate it? That's where as a support, you can role model that for them. So by doing that in yourself, you are helping other people in your house, not just the person with the eating disorder, everybody else learn, oh, that's how I do it. Yeah, that's the kind of messages that we take in when we're living in a house within a family. Concept of self is another um, maintaining factor. And that's the idea of, you know, who am I? Yeah, who am I? And so when a person has an eating disorder, the eating disorder often becomes the I. The eating disorder often becomes, you know, totally kind of super glued into their sense of self. And so how we can help that with supporting the person is by trying to separate them out from their eating disorder. So to treat the eating disorder like an it um, and communicating that we know that they are a person different to who they are with their eating disorder. Now, I also know that my experience is that when, that people who have an eating disorder often don't like that idea, but it, it is really important at the same time to be able to do that so that feelings can be managed. So that the person doesn't feel blamed if there's upset in the house, you know we know that eating disorder behaviors are compulsive, they don't choose to do them um, and that concept of self is very important and then the other maintaining factor is this inter is interpersonal relationships, and that basically means that when an eating disorder comes into a house um you know. Accommodations are made, um, things change and things change within the dynamics of relationships as well. And so often with the best intentions, some of the dynamics that start to unfold and get embedded and start to repeat and repeat and repeat actually aren't that helpful um, for helping the person to let go of their eating disorder. And so that's why it's important to kind of look at that as well. So basically then what we have is the person with the eating disorder getting more and more anxious in the run up to Christmas and probably everybody getting more and more anxious. So there's probably a lot of anxiety in the house. We have a person who's incredibly sensitive and sensitive to success and failure. Is Christmas going to be good or is it going to be bad? A person who's detail focused, who has this tendency to all or nothing thinking. So thinking through tiny bits of the day, maybe memories from last Christmas, from Christmas past, from the best Christmas. Um, And probably everybody in the house has has a tendency to these kind of thought patterns and feelings. And then the person with the eating disorder, of course, is usually on high alert because they have an eating disorder and they know that everyone around them wants them to change. And they're constantly trying to, you know, not disappoint everybody by not changing, but also trying to satisfy the eating disorder in their head. So they're very split. And as a consequence, they feel very defensive and very resistant. And so this is the person that we're trying to help, that we're trying to um, support in the run up to Christmas, during Christmas and after Christmas. So that's where I'm coming from. I just wanted everyone to be clear where I was coming from before I get into some more practical information. Okay. So going forward, we're gonna keep two things to the fore. We're going to keep the idea that the eating disorder is a coping mechanism and the idea that the eating disorder is separate to the person. So that's what I have in my head when I'm thinking, Okay, what is helpful when we're planning for Christmas? Okay, so let's think about planning. So in the run up to Christmas, the person may start anticipating Christmas way in advance. So I don't know whether um, I'm sure everybody noticed that. And before Halloween, there were selection boxes and there were um, chocolate boxes and things like that in the supermarkets. Yeah. And it's the start of Christmas is happening earlier and earlier every year. So it is in our heads, isn't it? And so some of the thoughts a person might have are, you know, I want Christmas to be perfect. Christmas should be perfect. I want to have the best Christmas ever. I want to have whatever I feel like, everyone's going to be watching me, everyone's going to be stressed. I haven't seen people for ages, what will they think of me? What if someone comments on how I look or on what I eat? Okay, so they're very normal questions that a person might have in the run up to Christmas. And if you pay attention to these, what you notice is that they are perfectionist, so uh, Christmas should be perfect, I want to have the best Christmas ever, I want to have whatever I feel like, okay, they're very all or nothing, so it's either going to be perfect or it's not, it's either going to be the best Christmas or the worst Christmas, I want to have whatever I feel like, or it won't be the Christmas I want, okay, everyone is going to be stressed, Um, thinking about what other people will think, yeah, so, Um, I haven't seen people for ages. What will they think of me? What if someone comments on me? What if someone comments on what I'm eating? In that, we can see the person feeling exposed and feeling vulnerable, yeah? Feeling under pressure, maybe. You know, feeling under pressure to be something different. Like, is there no more, like, greater pressure than that to be something different, And underneath them all, I hear fear. I hear fear in all of those thoughts. Yeah, I just think, you know, it's terrifying to think, well, if it's not like that, what's it going to be like? Really, a lot of fear. So what can this lead to then? So it might lead to the person becoming more rigid in the weeks leading up to Christmas because they're coping with that mounting anxiety. And they, how does the person cope? Using their eating disorder, okay? So the person might become more rigid. The eating disorder behaviors might become worse. So as stress and anticipation builds, so too will eating disorders build. So have you noticed this in your person? Have you noticed this in yourself? As pressure builds, Anxiety bills, stress bills. How does a person with an eating disorder deal with stress and anxiety? If it's their coping mechanism, if it functions for them, they deal with it through disordered eating behaviors. So retreating into the eating disorder. So pay attention. Is your person retreating a bit into their eating disorder? Are they starting to retreat a bit from family life or are you trying are you retreating a bit from family life? Have there been more arguments recently? Do you feel like you're walking on eggshells? Do you feel irritable? Yeah have there been mood swings? because arguments and mood swings all ramp up when eating disorder behaviors ramp up yeah. So what can help during this time? So if you notice these things happening, what can help? And I'm going to think through both of these things. The first thing I think that can help is if we can help the person to stay in the present and not anticipate Christmas too much. So rather than living in the future, if we can stay in the here and now, yeah, put a pen in it, stay in the here and now, that can help. And it can help if we're able to help the person acknowledge what they're feeling in the here and now. So I want to go through both of these things in a little bit more detail. Okay, so helping the person to stay in the present and not anticipate Christmas too much. Why is staying in the present so important? Staying in the present is important because it helps to deal with all of the what if thoughts. So if you, my experience working with people with eating disorders is that much of their lives or their thinking is bound up in the future tense, okay? In the future, the what will happen if, the what if, okay? And the fear of the what if often stops the person from taking, from looking after themselves in the here and now. OK, because it's always, well, what if, um, you know, I really want to eat whatever I want at Christmas? If I want to do that, I need to be rigid now. I need to restrict now. Yeah. What if I feel out of control? Then I need to really work on being in control. Um. so the eating disorder uses the future, the fear of the future as a way of stopping the person looking after themselves in the here and now. So it kind of builds up this illusion that the person can control the future by controlling the now, okay? By, by following the eating disorder right now, they can control the future and make the future okay. The problem with that is that it just never works. Okay, that is it. The eating disorder never delivers on its promise to make the future okay. My experience is that when people do this, that by the time they get to Christmas, and they're too stuck in their eating disorder again to make a change, like the girl who wanted to eat her dad's breakfast. By the time it came along, it was too much of a change. It was too difficult. It was too different to everything she had been doing in the run-up that she wasn't actually able to do it. And so the eating disorder tricked her and basically got her right back into its clutches so that um, so that um, it could just have more control over her. So my number one phrase and you'll hear me say it a few times tonight is that if we focus on today tomorrow will look after itself if we look after ourselves in the here and now the future would will look after itself so that is about being able to acknowledge that the person has fears or worries about the future um And also being able to align yourself with them to help them to basically put a pin in it and say, look, can we cross that bridge when we come to it? Really, all we have to deal with is right now, is right here and now. Can we just put a pin in it, leave it aside? Sometimes it can also help to say, can we decide when we're going to talk about it? So I know that sometimes um, when I'm working with people, I I'm say they have exams coming up and say the exams are like three months away. And I know it's stressing them out and I know it's making it much harder for them to look after themselves in, in the here and now. So I would say, look, four weeks before your exams, we will talk about them. We will come up with a plan And we will talk about them. So we don't actually need to talk about them in the next eight weeks, because we're going to talk about them four weeks before it happens. And just being clear about that and letting them know that it is going to happen. And right now, we don't need to let it worry us for every single day up into it. So having that kind of clear boundary is really helpful. And in that, I'm being an ally. I'm saying, I understand you're really worried about this. And I recognize that we do need to talk about it. And I'm going to arrange with you a time where we can talk about it so that you can let go having to think about it until then. Okay. So we're going to discuss our tools for doing this. Okay. For helping somebody to stay in the here and now. So, help the person to acknowledge how they're feeling is the first step, okay, in the here and now. So how do you know? What I will say to you is how you can help the person to acknowledge how they're feeling. If the first thing is to start looking for the clues to how do you know what they're feeling? Or if you're a person with an eating disorder, what are your clues to tell you how you're feeling? So the first thing we do is attend to the signs, to the clues, to how the person is feeling. So probably that that might be an eating disorder behaviors. Um, are they engaging in more eating disorder behaviors? Have they become more rigid? Have they dropped a snack? Are they being more, um, more, um, focused on you know amounts and what and cutting out little bites here and there have their mood has their mood changed so have they chain are they a low mood are they more irritable are they more quick to anger are they isolating themselves that's a clue um are you avoiding things are they avoiding things um are they being more rigid okay Uh, Are there physical signs, things like bitten nails or, um, you know, looking pale or um, being tired or um, what are they, you know, are they getting sick? Is there body language? So what I would say to you is I'm sure at any time you walk into a room and you know how your person is feeling. Okay. And what I would say to you is, how do you know that without them telling you? So, what are the clues? And if you're a person with an eating disorder, what I would say to you is, what are the things that happen to you? And what are the things that you do when you are feeling different feelings? Okay. So, when you gather all those clues, okay, so when you've thought about it and you think, okay, well, all of this is telling me the person is feeling anxious, okay? Then it's time to to name it and acknowledge it. So you give it a label, you give them the name, okay? So you label the feeling. Now, so for example, I've got an example there. I'm worried about you because you seem really anxious these days. I've noticed you're more rigid, that you've avoided get-togethers, and you're isolating yourself at home, okay? So that That's a, a guess, I'm guessing that they're anxious from all of those clues, okay? So don't worry if you guess wrong because the person will tell you, no, I'm not feeling anxious, I'm feeling sad or whatever. So it doesn't matter. It's about giving a name, labeling the feeling, okay? And then we want to validate the feeling and this is about becoming a, their ally, okay? We want to validate them. We want to show them that we empathize with the feeling, that we're trying to understand and we can understand why they might be feeling that way. So when we validate the feeling, we use the word because. So I can understand you might be feeling anxious because Christmas is coming and it's a really stressful time, okay? So you use the word because. So what does this do? When you're able to do this, so when you're able to calmly, you know, think about what what are the clues that you're seeing, calmly be able to express to them what you're guessing they're feeling. When you're able to validate that for them and say, look, I can really understand why you might be feeling that way, because it shows that you are, well, it shows you're making an effort. It shows that you're supporting them. It allows you to connect with the person, okay? And it allows an acknowledgement of the feeling that's being coped with through the eating disorder, okay? And if you're a person with an eating disorder and you're thinking this through, in relation to yourself, what that is, is you're attending to what's going on in your body and with your behaviors. You are being able to give those things you're experiencing, a name, yeah? So I am anxious, I am worried, I am afraid. Validating it for yourself. So being able to think, okay, it makes sense that I'm feeling that way because, yeah? And then the final part of that is is the helping part. It's the soothing part. So if your person is anxious, how do you soothe them? If you're anxious, how do you soothe yourself if your person is angry how what's soothing for that okay if you're angry how do you be kind to yourself in that if they're sad what ha- what helps them to feel a bit better um if they're feeling ashamed how can you soothe that so really take time to think it through okay think it through yourself remember that if you're a person with an eating disorder, you know yourself best. And if you're a parent here, you know the person best, okay? So you know when you're feeling a certain way, what helps you to feel a bit better. And you also have lots of practice if you're supporting someone in helping them to manage or to soothe a certain feeling, yeah? So don't forget that. You have loads of knowledge about your person, and I really want you not to feel afraid of that, but to feel you can do this, okay? You are able to do this. It is not difficult. You're probably doing it all the time, and I'm just putting other words on it, okay? So this is about aligning yourself with the person in the here and now, And that helps them to not race forward into the future, yeah, and rely on their eating disorders to cope. Because if you're able to help them manage the feeling in the here and now through this process, they're less likely to need their eating disorder to manage it in that moment. So that is supportive. So you're not telling them what to do. You're not changing how they feel. You are bravely being able to tolerate your loved one's feeling. Now that's really difficult. It's very easy for me to do this with another person's loved one because I'm not emotionally attached to them. When it's your your own loved one, You feel it in yourself, you feel their feeling. When they're anxious, you feel anxious. When they're sad, you feel sad. And that's why role modeling, managing your own feelings is so important for them. But also putting a framework on it like this allows you a little bit of distance from it. It gives you some kind of framework to follow, to really think, how can I do this in a helpful way where I'm not right in it with them, but I am beside them, I'm aligning myself with them. Okay, I hope that makes sense. So using this framework to acknowledge different fe- difficult feelings helps to bring them out into the open in a safe way, and that helps them to be coped with in a way that isn't the eating disorder. It helps you to connect and support in the moment. And if you are a person with an eating disorder, can you do this for yourself? And can you help yourself stay in the present moment, okay? So if you look after yourself in the here and now, the future will look after itself. So we have to remember that people who have an eating disorder often find it hard to know how they're feeling and they find it hard to express their feelings. So sometimes we need to help them to do that. We need to figure out how they're feeling from their behaviors. And we need to start this conversation to be able to connect with them. So again, that framework is to attend, to label, to validate using because and to soothe. Okay. So when we start thinking about Christmas Day then, really we're starting to think about having a planning conversation, all right? What helps? Okay, so these are all the things that help, and I'm gonna go through each one individually, okay? So we first of all want to think through our expectations of the day, both your expectations and the per- your person's expectations. We want to think through what are the plans for the day, who will be around, what are the food related parts of the day, what are the person's triggers, can you have parts of the day that aren't focused on food? We want to be able to ask them, you know, what can you do for them, how can you support them, can you figure out a plan together, and we want to visualize the day. So I'm going to go through each one of these to think, well, what does that look like in a conversation? Okay, so the first one is thinking through your expectations of the day, yours and your person's. So. Actually doing this, you know, I think it's for for everybody, I think it could be a lovely exercise to do. So what are your and your person's expectations for the day? I mean, you could do this with everybody in the house name them all so write them all out get them all out there okay and this would be like the ideal list so everyone's expectations and probably everybody's expectations are really really high okay but we want to get them all out into the air so that we can see them for what they are okay and if they're very um you know high kind of unrealistic expectations that everybody in the house is going to have the exact ideal Christmas that they want. And we kind of need to know that we need to name that. Okay. Now think about this question. What to you is the most important part of the day? If you could ensure that one part of the day goes how you wish, what would that be? So when you talk to people about Christmas, there's always one thing about Christmas that they love. And that could be different for everybody in the house. When you're planning Christmas with a person with an eating disorder, it's helpful to know that because of that perfectionist and all or nothing thinking, okay? So if there's just one part of the day, what would that be? So for some people that may, might be, I love the morning. I love the breakfast. I love it when dad gets up and makes the breakfast. I love um, going into the neighbors. I love um, when everything's done and we sit down and we put the movie on and it's all relaxed and all the presents are done and all of that. It might be, oh, I love Christmas pudding. It might be, I love um, the meal and doing the table. So everybody will have different parts of the day that for them, Symbolizes this is what Christmas is about. And we need to know what that is, okay? So that our expectations will be realistic, okay? Because we won't be able to meet everybody's expectations for every part of the day. But hopefully we can try and have realistic expectations and we can try and include one thing that everybody loves in that Christmas day, okay? So doing this exercise allows us to know what at the very least is everyone's main expectation. And when you've done that, you can think about whether it's realistic or not, okay? So you want to get it all out into the open. Um, Who's going to be around? And what are the plans for the day? So include in this conversation, what the plans. you know, what, have a conversation about what the plans are for the day. So thinking through what's going to happen, you know, from when we wake up, what time are we waking up? What's happening in the morning? What's happening in the mid morning? What's happening in the afternoon? What's happening in the evening? you know what are the things that are going to happen on christmas day who is coming when who will be around when where are we eating and what parts are we mixing for when will we be home what you know all the little bits because they're all the little bits that the person with the eating disorder might be worrying about okay what are the timings for the day so you know Timings can shift and change on the day as well. So we need to include in that some flexibility, but just generally, what are the timings for the day? What is everyone's commitments for the day? So do you have a commitment to go and visit relatives? Is there a commitment that relatives will come to you? Is there an expectation that you will be going into the neighbors or into friends or whatever? Yeah, who's going to be around? So you want to think all of those things out so that everybody is clear about what the plans are, okay? Then what is happening with food on the day? So when we're thinking about you know, the food parts of the day, I suppose for lots of people with an eating disorder, they will eat according to a schedule or according to a routine, okay? and you know, they need to do that. Um, regular eating is is a really important part of, you know, letting the eating disorder go. Um, and any hiccup in that regular eating routine can have a knock-on effect and make things very difficult for the person. So what I would always suggest is that you think about what your person's eating routine is like, and then you try to map it on to what the plan is for Christmas Day. So where is their regular eating routine going to map onto Christmas day? So in terms of morning and breakfast and mid-morning snack and afternoon, lunch, dinner, evening snack, okay? So think about the person's eating routine and think about how it might fit into the plans for Christmas day. If it's going to be disrupted, how can you help them think that through? So remember that with that all or nothing thinking and that detailed focused thinking, um you know, it's very likely that there might be a rule that, um if I don't have my breakfast by nine, I'm not having my breakfast. And, um, I need to have my snack at eleven. you know, I need to have my lunch at whatever time. So that is going to need, you're gonna need to think that through. For Christmas Day and think through, well, what are the differences between their normal eating routine and then the plans for Christmas Day? Now, if it is very different, you'll have to make the assessment as to whether your person is in a place where they can try to have more flexibility, or maybe what's really important for them is that they stick to the routine and that the Christmas Day plans shift around their eating routine. And that's why I say, remember, that it's not always going to be like this, but maybe it needs to be like this in the beginning. So if, for example, your person usually has dinner in the evening, but on Christmas day, that dinner is in the middle of the day, you need to think about, well, what are the options for coping with that? Might it be that you move dinner, you move the Christmas dinner so that you have it in the evening when your person is used to having a meal, a hot meal like that? So do you adjust the time of the Christmas dinner? Um, if you can't do that, you know, or if you're not able to do that and they're going to have to swap around their lunch and their dinner then that's probably something that you need to think about well in advance because the person is gonna need to practice that. So they're going to need to do an experiment and they're going to need to practice what it is like to have their dinner in the middle of the day and their lunch in the evening time, okay? And to see what that's like. So you can experiment with that. So I would be doing lots of little experiments in the run up to Christmas You can do, like, there's so many food experiments you can do in the run-up to Christmas. You know, if the food is going to be different on Christmas Day, can you experiment by adding some of that food in before Christmas into their eating schedule so that they might get used to eating something Christmassy um, before they actually are faced with it on Christmas Day? Um, You know, if there's maybe like different vegetables like Brussels sprouts most people don't eat Brussels sprouts any other time but maybe they need to practice eating Brussels sprouts and um, before christmas maybe they need to practice having cranberry sauce maybe they need to practice having turkey instead of chicken yeah so this is why the planning part is so important so that the person isn't faced with lots of firsts on christmas day OK, so do practice the change, come up with a plan for them and say, OK, well, look, you know, next week one on one day, you pick the day and we'll make one little change and then we'll see how that goes. And if that goes OK, we'll try it again then before Christmas so that, you know, so you know that it feels OK on Christmas. If it doesn't feel OK to make the change, well, then your choice is to change Christmas or to get them to practice it another couple of times to see can they tolerate it and um, one of the big triggers on christmas day is the availability of snacks and grazing you know it's it's very normal for people to graze on christmas day to kind of um, munch and snack and eat stuff the whole way through and that is really difficult for a person who has an eating disorder because it can really trigger off lots of panicky thoughts and lots of feeling out of control. So, again, raising that for conversation before Christmas is helpful so that you can align yourself with the person and come up with a way of coping with that. So, for example, you know, if crackers and cheese are around, or if there's chocolates, or if there's mince pies, or something like that, you know, to try and help them to formulate you know the amounts of those into their snacks yeah so um, to try you know if they have a scone for a snack could they try a mince pie um you know if if just because the the grazing is something that the person can trigger panics and then they can get stressed about how much they've had and trying to remember and all of that so it can just so sticking to the plan is really really important and they might need help to do that Okay. Um, Oh, sorry. What are your person's triggers? Um, And if you're a person with an eating disorder, what are your triggers? So do you know what the triggers are? Do you know what your person's triggers are? And if you don't, then this is an opportunity for you to find out by asking. So what I mean by triggers are things that trigger off the eating disorder thinking in the person's head, the things that trigger anxiety or trigger panic. OK, so I have thought up some of the triggers that um, I've heard over the years from people around Christmas Day. So those can be things like having a different breakfast and having a late breakfast um, activity that makes the mid-morning snack difficult okay that can be a trigger and um, having dinner in the afternoon what's then going to be the afternoon snack evening eating eating with others not wanting to eat with others lots of food talk weight comments so there could be i mean it could come up with maybe a hundred more types of triggers okay if you know what the triggers are then you can have a conversation about them and about how you can support your person through those triggers. If you're a person with an eating disorder and you know that these are the types of things that trigger off that thinking in you, I would really start now to think about how do you deal with that? So what helps you to bring yourself back in your head, to calm your head down, to try to think through, well, If I get triggered, what what can I do? And in a moment, I'll have a few examples of that. Okay, can there be parts of the day that are not focused on food? I think this is a lovely idea because um, I, I heard it from somebody who had an eating disorder and how she was coping at Christmas. And um, she said, you know, it's, I just love if there were some parts of the day that didn't involve food and eating. Um, and I thought, yeah, that's, I can see how that would really bring relief. And I think that that's really important. So by thinking the day through with the person, you can then identify the parts of the day that maybe don't have to be food related. Yeah, so that can be, you know, can there be a, a a walk together or can there be a game that you play or a movie? Um, you know, something that that doesn't kind of center around the eating part. Um, can everybody have time to themselves and go to their room and just chill out? Um, can there be that little escape moment in the day? So to think it through. Um, with your person. And if you're a person to think through, okay, what parts of the day, you know, can I go off and just, um, you know, have some downtime and relax. Um, if it feels like there's not really going to be scope during the day for there not to be a food-related part, well, then can you make that? Can you decide that certain parts of the day are not going to be food-related? Um, you know, can Christmas be about other stuff other than all of the food? Yeah. And I suppose we kind of take that for granted a bit. But again, we have to remember that the person with the eating disorder is going to be highly sensitive to all the food things. And with that tendency to being all or nothing in their head and very detail focused, it's going to be very present in their mind or the food part of it. So can there be other parts of the day that aren't necessarily um, associated with food? So, um, can you, yeah, so being around other people and comments from other people. So can you figure out a plan together? So, um, I suppose this is a conversation where you can acknowledge fears and difficulties, you can help the person to verbalize their feelings and their worries, and you make a plan so that everyone knows where they stand and is in agreement. Okay, so you work out with them what parts of any, they may need support with, and are there parts of the day where they feel that they can opt out of. So you know, say, for example, you are going to friends for, you know, drinks or nibbles or whatever, you know, is it okay if they don't go, you know, can that be decided beforehand? So it doesn't have to be this big thing on the day. Well, I thought you were going to come and no, I really don't want to go. And now I feel like I should go and all of that. So are there parts of the day where you can let them off the hook that they don't necessarily have to be part of it? Even say, if you're having you know, all the family around at your house, you know, is it okay for them to go up to their room and be left alone for a bit? Um, Can you allow that? Can that be okay? Um, And all of those things can be sorted out really easily with a conversation beforehand. And all of those things are the things that will trigger rouse and upset and arguments if they happen on the day. Yeah. So that's why thinking it through beforehand is really helpful. Um, When you have figured out this plan together, visualizing it. So that's kind of like what we say um, in terms of our communication skills. We say at the end of a conversation, try to summarize what you've talked about to ensure that you're both on the same page, to align yourselves together, And to partner with your person to be able to, you know, really move forward and see this plan through. So, summarizing it might be okay, look, this is what we've decided the plan for the day is. These are the parts that are going to be about food. These are the parts that aren't going to be about food. We've decided that you're going to practice, you know, having your dinner in the middle of the day a few times before we get to Christmas Day. We've talked about that you find it difficulty, difficult with anti-so-and-so. And, you know, so when everybody's over, you, you know, you if you want to, you can have time alone in your room. Um, you've agreed that you'll come and sit at the dinner table with us. You will have eaten beforehand, maybe in the kitchen, you know, where you feel comfortable. I, we'd really like you to join us at the dinner table and that's fine. You can come and you don't have to eat with everybody else. Um, And then afterwards, you're going to come into the kitchen, you're going to help me with the tidy up while everyone else has their dessert and that and then, and then we're all going to sit down and watch a movie so you 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 think about you've thought it all through. And you summarize it so that everybody is on the same page So there's no misunderstandings about any part of it. Okay. We want you to be an ally. so. So much of life with an eating disorder is the person feeling alone in their own head just with their eating disorder. Feeling that they have an ally is really helpful for them, especially when there are bigger groups gathering. Um, When there are bigger groups, the person can feel or can anticipate feeling. So imagining in the future that they're going to feel very overwhelmed And open to panic. If they know they have an ally, so that could be you, or it could be another member of the family, or it could be a friend on the end of a phone, they may feel more comfortable and more able to participate in the day. And really, you know, for Christmas, what we want everyone to, you know, have an okay time. Yeah, doesn't have to be perfect, doesn't have to be terrible. We want everyone to have an okay time and to have at least one moment in the day where they feel they're enjoying it. Planning for hiccups. Okay, contingency planning. So have a game plan for this. Okay. So if things start to go wrong, what can you do? Okay. Um I always remember a dad who was at one of our family programs told me that um, they had developed a code word for their Christmas and their code word was that his daughter would say, if she was in a panic, that she would say that she cut her finger and that she would tell dad that she cut her finger. And he would say to her, is it okay, or do you need a plaster? And if she said she needed a plaster, that was basically code for I'm having a panic. Get me out of here now. And so she did, she she said, oh dad, I've cut my finger. And he said, is it okay? Do you need a plaster? And she said, no, I need you to take me to get a plaster. And so he knew, and he said he brought her out and they walked around the block a couple of times and to talk out whatever had happened and calm down, then they were able to come back. So that was contingency planning. That was preparing for the fact that it's very likely that ev- that somebody and everybody at some point on christmas day will have a meltdown yeah or will feel in a panic or will feel anxious or will feel unhappy and that's fine that's normal yeah we don't need to cat- catastrophize it yeah so we just need to be prepared for it so sometimes having a code word and the reason for the code word in that situation was that she didn't want to say in front of loads of family that she doesn't usually see that she was in a panic So they had a word that she could say that was kind of, you know, didn't raise alarm bells with anybody. Nobody would notice. Another contingency planning thing might be to have phone a friend. So is there somebody that the person can contact and can text if they're feeling like they're getting very anxious and they need a bit of headspace, like they just need to be reminded of, you know, Of something to calm them down, to help them to feel more relaxed in their head. So, it you know who is that could be a person who's there with them, or it could be a friend of theirs, or it could be you know a sibling might who might be away or, or something. Yeah. Um. Another interesting idea is the idea of a transitional object. Okay, so we usually talk about transitional objects when we're talking about kids. Um, a transitional object is a safety object. It's something that they hold that makes them feel safe, makes them feel like um, they're not left alone. Um, It's a connection to their safety person, their mom or their dad or their carer. Um, So a safety object is a really nice idea. Some, the safety object symbolizes support. It reminds them of, you know, of their own strength. And it can remind them of your belief that they are going to be able to cope with this, that they can do this. So that might be, I remember hearing of a psychologist who just gave one of her clients a a little card that she had in her pocket. And on the card, she'd written, um, I believe you can cope with this. And the girl held it in her pocket and when she was at the dinner table and she felt anxious, she would put her hand in her pocket and feel the card. And she would know that somebody had belief in her that she was strong enough to get through this. And she also knew that she had somebody to talk to when it was all over about what she was going through. OK, Um. there are other kind of grounding techniques that can be helpful. So breathing Um. breathing you know that if if somebody is starting to panic that that you know breathe in for what is it breathe in for 3 hold for 4 breathe out for 6 or i think that's yeah you anyway deep breathing it it's like a reset button for um for the panic for the panic button in your head it helps you to really calm down you have to do at least 5 breaths um for it to work so you breathe in you hold and then you breathe out slowly um, guided meditation so well i would really say on someone's phone you know that they have something that they like listening to maybe a podcast maybe a playlist that they have that they can create that can be there to calm them down on christmas if they feel themselves in a panic um, and then other kind of distress and tolerance techniques are writing you know holding an ice cube in your hand until it melts Um, Again, phoning a friend and breathing, okay. Navigating others. So usually on Christmas, it's the time when there are lots of other people who are around that aren't usually around, okay? So there may be lots of people that the person doesn't see very often around them at Christmas. And while always well-intentioned, sometimes people can comment on a person's appearance. It's very, you know, we do it all the time. Um, And so, you know, we can never ensure, we can never absolutely make sure that nobody will make a comment, you know, either on the person's appearance, on what the person is eating, on exercise, or what they're eating, or weight, or any of those things. So we can never make sure of that. But if it's possible, um, do ask. Like if it's possible to ask people not to comment, then try to do that. Um, And to be able to frame it as it's more supportive if you don't comment, if you just ask, how are you? So often if you tell people that it would be more supportive for you to do this rather than that, they might remember it more than just saying, you know, please don't comment on food or whatever. Okay? Okay, so we have thought it all through. We have um, come up with some contingency plans. We have practiced for the day in terms of changing meals and foods and things like that. And now we get to Christmas day. So what is important? That we follow the plan, yeah? so that in as best as we can, we follow the plan. And then as a supporter, there's a bit of a balancing act between trying not to be helicoptering around the person. So being there, but not letting them feel like they're doing it all on their own, isolated, okay? If there is a plan beforehand that everybody has agreed to, that everybody is aware of, then hopefully they won't feel like they have to cope with it all on their own if you know mom and dad are distracted cooking or whatever or if somebody's having a row or whatever yeah that um that you know they will feel that they are part of this day that they have had you know a say that they are part of the day that um you know they 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 are some way in charge of it as well. They have agency in it, okay? And that is really helpful for the control part of the eating disorder because the eating disorder hates not being in control. So you can support by helping the person to stay in the here and now. So during Christmas day, you know, if there's that moment where they think, but what if, what if, what if? Again, being able to say, okay, look, we'll talk about that tomorrow. Right now, this is what we're doing. So to try and keep them in the here and now, to remind them, look, we're we'll worried about tomorrow, tomorrow. Right now, we just have to get through today. So if you look after yourself today, the future will look after itself. So trying to keep them in the present, in the moment, okay? Um. What kind of signs can you, will you notice? I'm sure I don't need to go through this because I'm sure you are finely tuned into um, what it looks like when your person goes into a panic from their perspective, you know, if, or if you've ever gone into a panic, you will know that your heart starts to race. You will know that your palms sweat because um, the blood goes to the surface. You will know that your eyes feel wide. Wide. You will have catastrophic thoughts like "I can't do this. This is too hard." You will be thinking, "I'm going to panic." Yeah. And in terms of behaviors, you will notice things like tapping feet, playing with food, and you know, just I remember when Mum saying, "I can see the shadow of the eating disorder just coming down over her eyes." Um. So again being able to pay attention means that you can be you can support and again if you're able to pay attention and identify the feeling that the person is having from your clues then you will have a better idea of how to soothe that for them okay now on christmas day you might be doing a million different things so maybe it's too much for you to take on the responsibility Of being on, you know, uh, on um, call for noticing if your loved one is having a panic. So that's where you need to work together as a team with other people. Yeah. So that other people can step in when you need to step out. And that's a really important learning experience, both for you, but also for your person, so that they understand that you know it's not just you who's the support that other people are able to do that okay in the end well we have to remember that christmas day is only one day yeah that that it is one day and it finishes very quickly okay and it's very normal to feel a sense of anti climax at the end of Christmas Day, isn't it? Everyone can feel that sense of deflation at the end of the day. So, for a person who is detailed focus and who is sensitive to extreme feelings, this means that they have a tendency to focus, to think back on the day and focus in on one part of the day. And usually it will be the part of the day that they didn't enjoy, that they felt most anxious about. And that part of the day will color the whole day for them. Okay. So you can help them again by role modeling, bigger picture thinking for them. And what I mean by that is it's by reflecting and summarizing the whole day. Acknowledging the good parts, the difficult parts, the boring parts, the tricky parts, the embarrassing parts, the annoying parts yeah, all of the different parts of the day so that they have something to counteract that detail focused thinking in their head. Okay, I i i'm the complaints officer for my son so whenever i go home i put my complaints officer hat on and i say okay come on give me all the complaints and he lists out all of the complaints from his entire day no matter what we're doing there's always the complaints and one day he said to me he said you know mom um i it's not that good things don't happen it's just that um i can't think of them So I just have all the the bad things that happen and I want to tell you those. And I said to him, "Okay, well, you know, would it be helpful for me to try and help you remember the good parts after you've got all the bad parts off your chest? And he was like, yeah, that would be helpful. So now I put on my complaints officer hat, take all the complaints, take it off and say, "Okay, so what else happened? Yeah. So for him, he just wouldn't even think of telling me the good parts of the day he just needs to tell me the bad parts and that's that kind of detailed focus tendency towards being anxious that kind of you know everything is awful everything is colored by this one thing and he needs reminding that there are other parts and that it's okay also to focus on those parts all right so that can be really helpful look in any situation when you're supporting somebody that can be really helpful um affirmations so we know the difficulty with praise yeah when we're supporting somebody with an eating disorder that um often praise can trigger the eating disorder thoughts okay and often we have to be really careful about how we praise so there is a really helpful idea in this word affirmations now i don't mean affirmations like all is well in my world or you know I I am always on time easily and effortlessly, you know, ones that we would have read about in Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway, or all of those kind of self-help books. These affirmations are, you are affirming the, the qualities that you see your person displaying. So it's not, so for example, A really simple example is the person says, I hate you. I hate myself. I just want to die, Okay. Now, if we focus on the content of what that person has said, it's very difficult for us to bring out anything positive. If we focus on the fact that they have said something to us and told us how they are feeling in a very honest way, we can take out the positive in that. So we can say, I oh, look, I really appreciate you telling me that when you're feeling, you know, so when you're feeling so bad right now. OK, so it's the the affirmations focus on um, the qualities rather than the result. OK, so for I get, I thought up a couple of examples here. You were very worried about Christmas Day and you showed such strength getting through it. Okay, so regardless of what happened, yeah, it might have all like not gone to plan and it might have, they might have ended up, you know, in tears, not able to eat anything or whatever. It doesn't matter. They were very worried about it and they got through it. So they showed such strength getting through it. I know you find it difficult eating with others and you showed how determined you are by trying. So maybe they weren't able to get to the table and eat food with everyone else. But maybe they were planning to up until that moment. So regardless of whether they did it or not, that doesn't matter. They showed determination in trying, okay? I'm so proud of the courage you showed when you were able to be with us for some of the day. Now that might've been just the movie at the end of the day. They might've not been able to join in in anything else. But the courage they showed to be able to come downstairs for five minutes, maybe just to get a present or to give a present. Amazing. Amazing. Okay, so we want to really plant seeds that we see the effort and that we are trying to understand how difficult it is for the person. I could see how hard you tried all day. And I'm proud that you looked after yourself by taking time out when you needed it. So maybe they disappeared and maybe you noticed that they had gone. Yeah. So you want to tell them, look, I saw how hard you were trying and you looked after yourself by going away and having time on your own. Yeah. And I could see you doing that. So you see, in those situations, it doesn't matter. How Christmas Day panned out, what mattered was the trying part, the look after, looking after themselves, the determination, okay? We could say these things to ourselves as well, you know? Not tie our sense of Christmas being a success to how, whether everyone enjoyed it or not, yeah? Rather tie it to, did we put a lot of work into it? Yeah, did we think about everybody else? Did we think about ourselves? You know, did we did we try and get on with anti-so-and-so? Did we, you know, whatever it is, yeah? Affirmations. So role model bigger picture thinking by acknowledging it all. So every part of it. Post-Christmas then. So... The day after can be more difficult, okay? So it's a bit like finishing exams, yeah? So that post-exam period, post-Christmas can be really difficult. So all of the tips on coping with the day can apply for the days following Christmas and for that awful week between Christmas and New Year when we set ourselves up with loads of shoulds and I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and we just end up not getting out of the house most of the time, okay? so especially about keeping routines in place in that week. Yes, so really try to work hard to think through that week and plan that week out and follow through on the plan. We have to remember that people internalize their eating disorders. So if they lapse or if things don't go as planned, they can feel that it's their fault, okay? So we need to be clear that they are not their eating disorder. And that if you have a lapse, that is what you're doing there, is you are returning to use your eating disorder to cope. And when you think about, well, why did that happen? You can learn from it. So there's really valuable lessons in lapses. And everybody lapses. Everybody does. Lapsing is part of letting go. The person has to go back to go forward so we have to frame a lapse as something to learn from okay when a person with an eating disorder has um feels has an they so sorry when a person has an eating disorder they can feel a lot of shame in how they behave remember their compulsive behaviors the person actually doesn't Choose to do them. They feel compelled to do them. So, as a supporter, it's important to communicate that you understand that this isn't the person's choice or their fault. They are not a bad person and you are here to help and support them. And if you are a person with an eating disorder, again, to say to yourself, I'm not a bad person. You know, if I could choose not to do this and not to live this way, you would. It's just that the eating disorder is in your head telling you the exact opposite, okay? Um, So this week between Christmas and New Year can be very difficult. Routines change. There's often lots of different people around. So all of these same tips apply. So think the days through, try to help the person stick to their normal eating routine, have balance between planning and having free time. And again, think about what parts of that week can the person opt out of and what parts can they be part of. Try to reframe situations to pull out the positives. Focus on what you want to see more of and ignore the things you don't want to see more of. Yeah. So if a person lapses into disordered eating behaviors, okay, so they've done that. There's no point in getting into a conversation, big conversation about that. What you want to focus is on the fact that they, you know, went for a walk with somebody or they did something different or they tried something different. So really, when you're supporting, like on an ongoing basis, when you're supporting someone with an eating disorder, you give energy to the things you want to see more of and you don't to the things you don't want to see. Yeah. So like we don't want to have conversations about food, weight and shape, do we? They're boring. So we just, you know, we want to talk about other things. We want to try and expand life and not um, let food, weight and shape and exercise take over life. January then, diet talk. So it's really hard to avoid diet talk in January. Um, Being aware that the person can find it extremely difficult is a start. Yeah, so being aware of it in the first place, and then you can help them to cope with it. So for yourself, be aware of your own self, of your own language around your own eating and your own eating behaviors. In as much as you can, try to avoid diet talk or changing your own eating behavior significantly. Yeah, because remember, the person will be very sensitive to that. Um. Uh, you know. Yeah. They're very sensitive to that. New Year's resolutions, I think, are a huge trap that the eating disorder sets for people. Um, We often don't think about it, but it can be a trap to make a person feel like a failure in January. Um, So remember, a person who has a tendency towards being perfectionist and all or nothing might set themselves really, you know, really hard goals for New Year's resolutions, okay? Really setting themselves up for a fall. Um, The problem with goals, and I never try, I try never to use goals with people with eating disorders because they're really counterproductive. If you set a goal, you can either reach it or you cannot reach, or you don't reach it. Success, failure, and that's not helpful. So I always try to replace goals with the idea of experiments. So we're going to experiment. We're gonna try something. Remember, an experiment is supposed to fail in some way and we learn from the failure. And that's a much more, you know, person-friendly way of um, trying to try out new things. If you're setting New Year's resolutions together, you know, try to make them self-compassionate try to make them kind for yourself try not to have any shoulds in them try to make them realistic and experimental okay that's all I would say about that yeah that um don't set yourself up or your person up help them not to set themselves up for you know for feeling like crap by the second week in January because they haven't Follow through on this really, you know, crazy goal that they set themselves. Yeah. So um, try to make goals compassionate. No shoulds. Ensure they're realistic and treat them as experiments that can be flexible and can change. And remember to be kind to yourself, too. So you need to role model being kind to yourself for the person with an eating disorder. You want them to be kind to themselves. So it's important that you are kind to yourself as well. And that brings our webinar to a close. For more information and support, please visit www.bodywise.ie. Thank you for listening.